These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ready? See if you can identify these five clips in the order that they are played. It could be from a song, a movie, a TV show, or something else. But if it's coming from this podcast, then you know that it's from Generation X. If our guest gets it wrong on the show, then I'll explain how you can enter to win a fabulous prize package. Listen closely. Good luck. Blue Welcome to Who Will Save Generation X, the trivia game show that is dedicated to remembering, celebrating, and preserving all the wonderful qualities of Generation X through games, trivia, and friends. I am Zave, your host, and today we have... You're traveling through another dimension. Next stop, the Twilight Zone. Sorry, frog in my throat. As I was saying, I'm your host now. I'm Suzanne, Zave's wife, also a Gen Xer, and your host on this very special Halloween episode. What a way to spend Halloween. <laughs> you think you're so smart. We are flipping the script, and we are going to make one of Zave's worst nightmares come to life and put him to the test as the guest of the show. We will still celebrate all things Generation X, and for Halloween, all things spooky, scary, dark, and mysterious in this single-player episode of The Home Game. This mini-episode gives you a chance to play at home with a friend or by yourself, as well as giving you a fix of Gen X trivia in between regular episodes. Here's how we play. Just like the regular edition of the podcast, we'll have three rounds of trivia and games. Each Home Game episode, we invite a special guest and let them set the benchmark score for you to try and beat. This time, it's Zabe who will set the benchmark score, and we'll see if he's truly doing his part to save Generation X. No pressure, though. 
Each round has a different game for you to try out, and at the end, you can compare your score with that of our special guest, Benchmark, to earn your rank on the quiz. All right, Zabe, it's your turn to say hello to the listeners as a guest and for us to get to know you a little better. In honor of Halloween, tell us, what movie scared you most growing up, and how do you feel about setting the Benchmark score for the episode? Well, first of all, the podcast isn't about me personally, nor will it ever be about me. The show is and always will be about saving and preserving the cool things of Generation X and our pop culture. And the reason for me being a guest on the show this episode is because you thought it'd be a nice thing for you to do for me personally to support me and the show. So thank you, Suzanne, for agreeing to host and for letting me get a chance to be on the show myself. It's a cool thing. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous about it. And my fear about being a guest on the show is this might turn out more like if Alex Trebek was a guest on Jeopardy and was less like a guest on his show and more like a guest would be on the Saturday Night Live Celebrity Jeopardy skits. (laughs) So we'll see how well I do. I'm a little nervous. But thanks a lot, Suzanne, for putting this all together and making this uh, a fun episode, I hope. I have no idea what you've picked for this episode or what the questions are going to be, but you know me well, so I hope you pick things that at least... I've seen before or know about. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a giant fool. So the question is, what movie scared me? So I was traumatized as a child watching Twilight Zone, the movie. So I watched Twilight Zone with my big brother, Tim, all the time growing up, the old black and white ones. And um, I think it's called Terror at 30,000 feet or something like that. Terror at 20,000 feet, where the gremlins on the airplane and is tearing up the airplane and William Shatner's in it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that one scared me because that's Captain Kirk getting scared. You know, he he's unfloppable, you know, and to see him get scared of something as a child that got me. And then I watched John Lithgow in the color remake later in the 80s. Introducing Mr. John Valentine, air traveler. His destination, the Twilight Zone. And I tell you, the part that freaks me out is when the gremlin puts his hand on John Lithgow's (laughs) face and like wags his finger at him all creepy like that. That scared the hell out of me. And even to this day, I get I get creeped out when I see it. So I try to avoid that. Yeah, that is for sure the stuff of nightmares. And nobody believes him. I think that that's what's worse for me is that everyone keeps looking outside the plane. They see nothing and no one believes him. And so the terrible thing is happening. The airplane is going to crash if this gremlin rips up the wing and that sense of helplessness, yeah. I think it's kind of at the core of, of that a little. And, and the thought of, am I crazy or is everyone else crazy? No, I'm not the crazy one. You're all the crazy ones. The way yeah, that the other... his, his hand, like it doesn't it like kind of like a, make it like a suction mark on it. I don't know. It feels like his hand would be slimy. It's gross. Slimy. I don't want a gremlin putting his hands on my face. Okay. <laughs> That's all I know. So listeners, let's see if you can outscore your host Zabe, which might be tough. If not, you may need to go back and refresh your memory about cool stuff from our youth. Yeah, I mean, talk about being powerless. I am John Lithgow in the plane. I, I have. I don't know what you've picked. I can look <laughs> like a complete fool right now in front of all these listeners. But, you know, I'm just the host. It's really the judges that make this show. So, tail here. We, judges? We gotta, 
That is correct. The judges do make the show. We'll see what the if the judges will show mercy on me or not. I've always had your back every episode, judges. Please remember that and keep that in mind when I beg for pity points. All right. Well, we'll see. The power struggle. In the opening to this episode, you heard five quick clips from Generation X. The game is called The Power Struggle. And in this game, you need to name those five clips in the order that they were played. If you get all five correct and in the correct order, then you will be bumped up an entire letter grade and rank at the end of the quiz. Think of it sort of like an extra credit question to help you out with your score. There is no penalty if you get it wrong. But if Zabe gets it wrong here on the show, then we are going to open it up for all of you listening to contact the show, send in your answer, and see if you can get it correct. So stick around to find out if Zabe can get the power struggle question correct or not. Good luck. And remember... Tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. You have me nervous. I'm going to be crying at the end of this episode now. You might. There are a total of 23 points available in this episode. So everyone, keep track of your score, and I'll let you know how well you did versus Zabe's benchmark at the end of the episode. All right, let's get started. Here come the questions. They're here. It's time to see if you can save Generation X from fading into oblivion, Zabe. No sweat. Round one. Round one is our trivia round. Each complete correct answer is worth two points. If you think you can convince the judges into giving you partial credit for your answer, then you can award yourself one pity point for your partial correct response. We'll use the honor system here. And here we go. This first one's called Witches, Pumpkins, and Regrets. Let's get things started out properly with the cult classic Gen X slasher movie, Pumpkinhead. Keep away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's This 1988 film was the directorial debut of special effects artist Stan Winston. And despite its poor box office results, the film has a devoted fan base. There is a bit of a mystery to the film title, though, Zabe. So let's see if you can answer correctly and clear this up for us. The murderous creature in the film, who is called Pumpkinhead, his head looks absolutely nothing like a pumpkin. Why is he, and consequently the movie, called Pumpkinhead? Is it A. The Creature Shop originally did design a pumpkin-headed monster, but Stan thought it wasn't scary enough, so the monster got a new look, but they decided not to change the name to save time and money. B. In the movie, Pumpkinhead removes the heads from all his victims and buries them in a pumpkin patch. C. Although the monster did not look like a pumpkin, the materials that they used to create them, the latex and such, oddly, smelled like pumpkin spice. So on the set, the nickname Pumpkinhead just sort of stuck, and Stan, being the cool, easygoing director that he was, decided to make it part of the script and just sort of roll with it. Or D, because Pumpkinhead is kept buried in a pumpkin patch until he is summoned for vengeance. What do you got, Zabe? Well, the pumpkin spice stuff, that's not our generation. Let's just let's just put that out there <laughs> right now. So that's out. You know, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Like 20 years since I've seen this. I love the movie. It's got a great part in it that's super scary that I I love so much. But it's been a long time. So uh, I'm going to go with A, that they had an original design, but they liked the name, but they didn't like the design. I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Oh, no. This is not the pumpkin patch. Good foot. Is it because he's summoned from the pumpkin patch? It is. Damn it. You're looking for vengeance. Vengeance. So the father in the movie, yes, he went to a witch and she summons Pumpkinhead for pure vengeance. 
as I mentioned earlier, although this was a fantastic. Di- Sorry, do you want to talk about it more? No, I'm just pissed. <laughs> is that what you were going to go with? Yeah, well, that was my that was my other choice is between those two. And I, I picked the wrong one. But hey, I screwed it up. I can keep track of my points if you want. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, that'll make it easier for me, I think. Sweet. So far, I got two. No, so far you have zero. Oh, oh my bad. My bad. I'll keep track. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for that. As I mentioned earlier, although many thought this was a fantastic debut for director Stan Winston, it did not perform well. It did get a direct-to-video sequel, as well as a couple of TV movie broadcasts on the Sci-Fi Channel, a short comic book series run, and a very unsuccessful first-person shooter PC video game. But to those that really love this movie, there is a rumor that you may be interested in. Like so many beloved franchises from the Gen X timeline, there is talk of a reboot. I know, I know. As of the end of 2021, there is supposedly a script written, a producer from Saw associated with the project, and the announcement of a director is supposed to be coming soon. So in general, I'm anti-remakes when the original is so good. Same. But we'll see. You know, I'm still a sucker and I'll probably still go see it just because it's Pumpkinhead. Right. And the question is, will it look like a Pumpkinhead? I doubt it. Yeah. Okay. This next one is called. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. And the Oscar goes to. I'm not sure if he's ever mentioned this before on the podcast, but Zabe is a big fan of watching the Academy Awards and has a long history of making that night fun and special with Oscar parties. And we even make a game of betting on the winners. Now, the horror genre usually gets the snub and the Academy usually doesn't include scary movies when it comes to nominations. According to SlasherFilm.com, in its over 90-year history, there have only ever been 18 horror-slash-thriller-slash-scary films nominated at all, and just six for Best Picture. Okay, Zabe, let's get your Gen X Oscar knowledge out there. Which of these... You got something to say? I was just going to say, my answer is already 69. 69, That is incorrect. Damn it. Not I thought I could get two bonus points if I preempt it with an answer before you even ask the question. Oh, sorry. No. no? Judges? <laughs> Still, though. Okay. My question is, which of these scary films from the Gen X timeline received the most nominations? Is it A, Rosemary's Baby? B, The Omen? C, The Exorcist? D, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Or E, Silence of the Lambs. Well, I obviously do not know this off the top of my head, but I know that Silence of the Lambs has the most Academy Award winners. So I think the best educated guess would be to say, since I don't know the answer. Hold on. Before you give your answer, let me read the question again. Which of these scary films from the Gen X timeline received the most nominations? I understand. You can't win an Academy Award without being nominated first. That is true. That is a true story. (laughs) I mean, that would be quite a feat, right? Right. I'm still waiting for that to happen to me (laughs) secretly in the back of my head when I watch the the broadcast. You're waiting for them to call your name? I'm waiting for them to call my name. Just like I'm waiting to get drafted by the Lakers. It's going to happen one of these days. I'm telling you. Okay. So now I'm two for two on second guessing my answers. Because I'm I'm really stressing out over this, and maybe I'm stressing out too much. But I gotta go with the educated guess, right? Because I don't know, so I'm going Silence of the Lambs. Damn it! <laughs> that is also incorrect. Come on, man! Oh my gosh! Tried to throw you a lifeline, really did. It was a good guess. It really was. But the answer was C, The Exorcist. 
Although The Exorcist was nominated for an impressive 10 Academy Awards, including being the first ever horror film to be nominated for the Best Picture, it only won two. Best Original Screenplay and Best Sound. Best Sound. That's kind of odd, right? Do you think that's odd? Let's, uh, let's put that to the test. Let's try that out. Yeah, that was pretty gross. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good sound there. Okay, um, so I've never seen The Exorcist. What? Never seen it. I was raised what? in a very conservative Christian home. We weren't allowed to watch Satan movies like that. Yeah, but even as an adult, you never went back? I didn't. I, didn't I mean, iconic. Yeah. Uh-oh. I was too busy watching Star Wars for the 150th time. He's <laughs> in one viewing of The Exorcist. Nick, it's why you fail. You know what? It was painful, I have to say, to to go through and watch some of the clips to try to to find, like, piece together some of these sounds. It was not easy, even as an adult, to watch this little girl being possessed by a demon. I mean, it's brutal. There are some scenes in there that are disgusting. That's the best way I can describe it. Just straight up gross and terrible. I mean, it's got a lot of bad juju associated with it also if you read the making of. I don't know how much you're missing. Although it's not technically listed as a horror film on IMDb, actually, it was Silence of the Lambs who has the most Oscar wins, five in total, including being the first and only horror film to ever win the coveted Best Picture. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Awesome. But let's give an honorable mention to what is seriously the creepiest on this list. What is it? Can you get this right? What's the creepiest on the list? The creepiest? Is it not Twilight Zone the movie? That's not on the list. That's the That's creepiest. Not on the list. You, you want to see something really scary? You bet. I've only seen two of those movies on this list. Silence of the Lambs and Dracula. I didn't watch those those kinds of horror movies growing up. I what want to say to? that you've missed out, but somehow I'm feeling like... Mm, I don't know how much you really missed out. Uh, Dracula's great, though. Yeah, I enjoyed that. No, but seriously, the, the creepiest on the list. Definitely the omen. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. You know, I just really wanted to play that. I know. I, I <laughs> that in every episode that I possibly can. That's the only part of the omen that I've ever seen, to be honest with you. Okay, this next one is called Riding with the Devil. All right, Charlie Daniels' hit song, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, defined his career and became a platinum record with over 2 million copies sold and 2.5 million digital copies sold. It peaked at number three on the Billboard charts and is listed as one of the greatest 100 country songs of all times. I know that this is a particular favorite for you, Zabe, with some fun sentimental ties. But do you know this? In what 1980 John Travolta film did the song make an appearance? Is it A, Urban Cowboy, B, Carrie, C, Two of a Kind, or D, Staying Alive? Okay. I've never seen any of those movies. Um, <laughs> do you feel targeted right now? I do feel targeted. Thank you. How does it feel to be a member of your own podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really seven second guesses on this whole venture here. So I feel like the obvious answer is Urban Cowboy, right? But I feel like 
you're trying to manipulate me into answering urban nope. cowboy. And now I'm second and third guessing all of my answers. I've never seen any of those movies. I have no idea what the answer is. What now that I can only think of what movie might have John Travolta been in in 1980. Um, so which movie came out in 1980 is the real question. I don't know what year two of the two of a kind came out in. So as a total blind guess, I'll go for the trap answer and say Urban Cowboy. That's correct. Finally, Dave's on the board. Good job. It was Urban Cowboy. The best I can do is a B now. I've already missed two questions. I'm down four points of a possible 23. B is the best I can hope for. Unless. Unless I get the bonus. That's right. Thank you, Suzanne. Charlie Daniels wrote this song as a last minute addition to his and his band's album, Million Mile Reflections, when they realized we don't have a fiddle song. And apparently the song came together pretty easily and pretty quickly. According to Daniels, the fiddle solo the devil plays is not actual music. He's quoted as saying, there's no melody to it. There's no nothing. It's just a bunch of noise, just confusion and stuff. But as we all know, Johnny's part has a message and a melody which ultimately makes him, spoiler alert, the victor and the winner of A Fiddle of Gold. So, yeah, he has a melody, but that melody is country music. So I side with the devil on this. Judges? Country music sucks. All right. The judges like it. They like the devil's part in this particular episode only. One time, one time deal. This next one's called Believe It or Not. Another fun fact about Zabe. Zabe, all your secrets are coming out. Like I said, your worst nightmares. (laughs) Besides all of his Gen X trivia knowledge, he does have a podcast, as I'm constantly reminded whenever a Gen X question comes up. So besides all of that, he's also spent hours, literally hours of his life, lost down the internet rabbit hole of what dollar amounts different movies have made. Literally hours. (laughs) So let's see if those hours have been put to good use. Which of these horror franchises from the Gen X timeline has made the most money? Is it A, Halloween, B, Alien, C, It, or D, Nightmare on Elm Street? This is a great question, Suzanne. You should know. Well, I mean, so Halloween and Nightmare... Both have sequels on their side. You would think just the aggregate of all those movies coming together would be a big deal. But Alien, I think, was a bigger blockbuster. So they might have a higher ceiling, but fewer movies. So the question is, what won out? Quality over quantity. That's what I got to figure out. So they just released a Halloween movie. We don't know. what. Yeah, just came out like last weekend. Something like that. So we don't know what the final tally is for Halloween. So I think I got a loud argument, even if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing here. I see. Um, Hedging your bets here. You know, I always go with quality over quantity, obviously, because I have very few episodes on the podcast. I err on the side of quality, trying to come up with some good stuff for the listeners instead of just lots of episodes frequently. So I don't know if that's the right move either, but I'm, I'm going to go with Alien. Yes! That is correct. Woo! It is Alien. Nice. The 1978 movie wasn't actually called Alien. Its working title was Star Beast. But after seeing the word so much in the script, they decided that they liked the ambiguity of the word, where it can be used to describe the movie as a noun or as an adjective. 
Some other fun facts about this production. It was very gory at times, and they used real guts for filming from a nearby slaughterhouse from cows and sheep. Super gross. Also, most of the design aesthetic came from a failed adaptation of the Frank Herbert novel Dune. When some artists and designers joined the team making Alien after being let go from the failed Dune project. Apparently, they brought their work with them, and their futuristic designs worked perfectly and set the tone for the next 30 years worth of Aliens films. Obviously, the films have been massively successful, earning over $1.7 billion. Wow. To think Alien was originally called Star Beast, there's a good editor involved in that. This one's called 20 Years in the Making. I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of what Tim Burton has created epitomizes what we define as some pretty strong Gen X characteristics. Nonconformists, outcasts that don't bow to authority, or characters that don't easily blend into their cookie-cutter surroundings, and also don't care that they don't fit in. His characters can be dark, brooding, and often filled with angst. And that pretty much sums up my childhood. From Batman to Big Fish, he's given us some really unique, memorable, and beautiful characters. And really, his whole aesthetic has probably defined many Gen Xers' youth, and it for sure did mine. Although I loved all things Halloween before Tim Burton, he really gave us these incredible movies that are now used so much to color the Halloween season and that you see so many products from every year, which no complaints here. Although I loved all things Halloween before Tim Burton, he really gave us these incredible movies that are now used so much to color our Halloween season and that you see so many products from every year. His list of spooky-ish movies is also pretty long. All right, Zabe, which of these iconic spooky-ish films was not directed by Tim Burton? Was it A, Edward Scissorhands, B, The Nightmare Before Christmas, C, Beetlejuice, D, Corpse Bride, or E, Sleepy Hollow? Wasn't directed? Was not directed. Directed by Tim Burton. I don't know that he directed it, so I'm going to go with Corpse Bride. Damn it! That is incorrect. It's actually B, The Nightmare Before Christmas. He didn't direct that? No, he created it. Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas was not directed by Tim Burton? It was not. Nightmare was directed by Henry Selleck. Tom's dad made that? <laughs> no, it was his uncle. Oh. Um, no, no relation. I am flaming out on this episode. I'm doing so bad. We'll see what you do in the end. Okay. The movie took three years to make, but Burton actually created Jack by writing a poem, which he then turned into an idea for a stop motion animation 20 years before the film was made. He reimagined the classic poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, with just three characters, Jack, Zero, and Santa Claus. He was inspired by the iconic Rankin Bass productions that we grew up watching during the holidays and originally saw the story as a made-for-TV short true to the Rankin-Bass style. He was consistently rejected by networks when trying to get it made, so he abandoned the project for years. Disney still owned the intellectual property, and it wasn't until he pitched a full-length movie that they were even interested. But it was too scary to be an animated Disney film, so they gave it to their offshoot company, Touchstone, to release. Burton got Henry Selleck to direct it, then Denny Elfman signed on, and the rest was history. Apparently, the songs were written and the production and animation started before there was even a finished script, but they figured it out in the end. I don't think it was particularly popular in the theaters, but it later became a massive hit for Disney. Did you see it in the theater? I did see it in the theater. It turned into something much bigger than it was when it was released. Right. I saw it in the theater a ton. I think I saw it probably like five times and loved it. Instantly loved it. Okay, are we okay to move on to round two? I mean, I'm sitting here sulking, but yeah, let's do it. We'll see if you can pull it out in the end. Nudge, nudge, you know what I mean? Say no more. Before we start round two, let's take another listen to The Power Struggle. 
Luca. for round two round two our round two game is called in a world coming soon in a world coming soon in this game i'll play selected parts from a movie trailer from a generation x movie and you need to tell me which movie it was a preview for there are clips from three movies and you'll get one point for each that you can name correctly are you ready yeah stop sulking salty i should be getting all these i'm bent how's it feel huh have your feet to the fire it sucks that's what it feels like <laughs> i'm it hoping totally that sucks. this will give you a deeper appreciation for how it feels to sit on the other side of that chair when you're asking questions i'm not picking a learning purpose that the guests don't know <laughs> well i for sure didn't write any questions on purpose that i thought that you wouldn't have a amazing chance at and that's frankly, debatable i'm shocked i thought you would have swept the first round like mp yeah yeah I, I i mean i think the judges might have something to do with this and i want to remind the judges who signs the checks okay <laughs> as we go into round two Please keep that in mind, judges. Shut up, Wesley. Okay. So movie one is from 1986. It is rated PG-13, and IMDb calls it a comedy horror sci-fi. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. <laughs> they hide in small places. This phone is dead. What? They light the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way, and they're hungry. Okay, what is it? I knew from 1986 and PG-13, that movie had to be Critters because I was 13 when that movie came out. That's correct. Critters. Critters. They bite. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what a great tagline. So here's the real question. Have you ever seen Critters? Yes, I've seen Critters. All right. 13 by then. Terrence Mann appears in all four Critters movies and was a seasoned Broadway actor before he took up the role of Ugg, the faceless bounty hunter. In the movie, he morphs into a copy of Johnny Steele, a pop star also played by Mann, in order to blend in with the people of Earth. His character sees a video of Johnny Steele singing a song called Power of Night, which Mann actually performed and recorded just for the movie. You gotta love those triple threats. The video is still out there on the interwebs. So if you need a fix of awesome 80s hair and critters, take a watch on YouTube because it's hilarious. I think a better trivia question might be how many critter movies are there sequels? I had no idea there were four critter movies and that is certainly <laughs> three too many. <laughs> I'm sorry, Terrence Mann. I love you. You don't even know who Terrence Mann is, do you? Yeah, he's Ugg the Bounty Hunter. Come on. <laughs> Sings a song, right? 
YouTube. <laughs> okay. Movie two is from 1983 and it is rated R. IMDb calls this a horror thriller. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is possessive. She is pure. Evil. You will be hers. Body and soul. There is no place you can hide. No place you can run. And nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Okay, what do you got? Until that last line, I thought that was a movie trailer for your and I's relationship. <laughs> but Pure I'm gonna... evil. That's clearly... The John Carpenter classic, Christine. Christine. Body by Plymouth. Soul by Satan. That is correct. It is Christine. All right. We almost got a side of Bacon with that film. Did you know that? Kevin Bacon was offered the role of Arnie, but he turned it down to do Footloose. Good choice? Great choice. Yeah, I think that was a good choice also. Great choice. Apparently, Scott Bayo and John Cusack were also considered for the role, but ultimately it went to Keith Gordon, who I think was totally perfect. He was awesome. If Scott Bayo was in that movie, then I'd be rooting for the car the whole time. <laughs> you know, lately, same. Sorry, Scott. Movie three is also from 1986 and is rated PG-13. IMDb calls this a straight-up horror film. Let me in. Okay, what was it? So the antagonist in this movie was clearly the prototype of the Crypt Keeper. This movie is Poltergeist 2. That's correct. God is in his holy tent. Earthly thoughts be silent now. Yeah, straight up creepy. Apparently, Heather O'Rourke, who plays Carol Ann, was so afraid of Julian Beck, the actor who played Reverend Kane, the first time she saw him, she burst into tears. And I'm with you, Carol Ann, because he is seriously one of the spookiest looking villains ever. All right, though, let's shift the mood here to straight up dark for a bit. Unfortunately, there was a reason for his skeletal look. He had stomach cancer while filming the movie and actually died before production wrapped. Sad. So, in very typical fashion of mine, I made fun <laughs> of the guy and found out he had stomach cancer and died. And now I feel like a total a hole. But face it, you're a neo maxi zoom dweeby. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Appreciate that. Welcome to my life. 
There's supposedly a poltergeist curse. Did you ever hear about this surrounding the film series? The actress Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, the older sister, was murdered by her boyfriend after finishing the first film. Obviously, we just talked about Julian Beck, died of stomach cancer during the shooting of the second film. The actor who played Taylor, Will Sampson, in the second movie, he also died from complications due to open heart surgery shortly after the filming. And then, of course, actress Heather O'Rourke died of a mysterious case of intestinal stenosis shortly before completion of the third film. Many cast members' careers have suffered after appearing in the films, and the curse is blamed on the filmmaker's choice to use real skeletons in the place of props because it was cheaper. You remember that scene from the pool? They didn't even tell the actress. Super scary. And a bunch of people felt that that contributed to this curse, and it drew a lot of media hype, and there was controversy, and ultimately, it put an end to the whole entire franchise. That is until 2015 when apparently they did a remake, but I don't even remember that. Do you remember that? Yes, that movie is also cursed. It was cursed with poor box office draws. You know, maybe the curse continues because I seriously don't remember it at all. Yeah, the story of Dominic Dunn is super sad. If anyone wants to lose faith in humanity, go ahead and look up her story. It is awful. It's a true life horror story, what happened to her. So look it up at your own peril. Yeah, we're getting into real life horror here. Let's keep this show fun. What the heck? I know. Why are you keep bringing me down? You're the oh, one wait, bringing I up. I did that. Yeah. She is pure <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> evil. All right. Let's see where we are with the points. Zabe, you have six points. I have seven points. Thank you oh, very much. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. Seven points. Seven points so far. Eight, if you count the pity points the judges are giving me because I'm wiping away my tears for booting those first three questions or two questions. Judges, pity point? If I cry, if I cry in the podcast, will you give me pity points? Uh, real tears? Real tears, because I'm feeling like it right now. Okay, hey, really real like tears. All right. <laughs> Let's see if we can make Zabe cry. Should that be the name of this episode? <laughs> Who will make Zabe cry? Challenge accepted. I'm a big softy. You know that. So, yeah, I have seven points. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, moving into round three. Round three. Since this is a Halloween episode, it's only right that we play a round of Satanic Panic, right? Right. Possibly Satanic messages on some rock music recordings. Gen X was no stranger to pearl-clutching parents who lost their mind when they learned what backmasking was. Could it be... After that, it seemed like the devil was hiding everywhere in pop culture and Satanic Panic was born. For this game, I'll play parts of five popular Generation X songs, and you need to give me artist and title. However, to honor those overprotective parents, we're going to play those songs backwards and, unlike our parents, not hear any messages from Satan. Satan! Score yourself one point for artist and one point for title. Two points possible for each song since this is a bit difficult. This game of Satanic Panic is brought to you by a Gen X Halloween playlist that you'd find on any streaming music service these days. They'll add anything with any sort of dark or spooky subject or even just a scary title to a playlist and call it Halloween themed. But is it though? Hmm. 
Well, regardless, they are still great songs from our youth. Because we know that Zabe is a pro and has for sure shown it, at least in the last round, we're going to add an extra layer of difficulty for him in this round by only playing 6.66 seconds of the song. For it is a human number. Its number is 666. So here we go with our Halloween question mark version of Satanic Panic. Good luck, Zabe. Okay, this first song is from 1994. Tell us who it is, Abe. Who is it? Is that 6.66 seconds? That was 6.66 seconds of... I need that one more time. That was the dearly departed and lovely Dolores O'Riordan singing from her band, the Cranberries, Zombie. That's correct. Zombie yeah. by the Cranberries. You're on a roll now. Let's see if you can get this song from 1985. I need that one more time. That is Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo scene. No one lives forever. That's correct. love that song so great i once wrote a whole dungeons and dragons module based around that song so i i nailed that one super rad love it okay next up is from 1993 i need that one more time okay is that my beloved Morrissey singing Jack the Ripper. That is correct. It is your beloved Morrissey. I don't know if you know, listeners, he's kind of, kind of a Morrissey fan, Innismus fan. I don't know if you've yeah. ever mentioned that before on the podcast. I, it may not have come up. Very good, Morrissey. He's my hall pass. Okay, this song is also from 1993. Let's take a listen. The hell? That was 6.66 seconds of... Let me listen to it one more time, Suzanne. Okay. Okay, that sounds like it's not a pop song of any sort or nothing that'd be played on the radio. It sounds like it's from a movie. Makes me think that that's... Is that Kill the Beast from Beauty and the Beast? That's a really good guess. But 
That is incorrect. Yeah, I thought this one was for sure the hardest of the group. Let's take a listen. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 You hear it now? I got the educated guess part right, but I did not stick the landing. Yeah, 6.66 seconds. That, that's that's a little rough, but you know, it's super uh, Halloween-y yep. and fun. The title was This is Halloween, and we went with composer on this one, which is Danny Elfman. Right. I don't think that was 93 either. I don't think Beauty and the Beast came out in 93. It didn't. Yeah. It was earlier than that. It's the only thing I could come up with. You totally blew it, dude. All right. Moving on. This next one is from 1980. Can you get it? One more time. One more, one more listen. I think I know what it is, though. Forwards or backwards. I can always identify my all-time favorite band, The Cure, with A Forest. That is correct. It is A Forest. Boy, after giving that intro before my answer, I, I'm sure glad I was right. Because if I was yeah. wrong, I'd look like <laughs> Me too. Or so. All right. I have no fun fact, except that it's a fact that I just wanted to play this song. And don't deny it, Zabe, you are totally here for it. Like I said earlier, I don't know if you guys know this, but we are kind of Cure fans. Absolutely. All-time favorite. For sure. Actually, I do know a small bit of trivia. I don't know if you knew this, Zabe. During a 1991 festival in Berlin, the band played a nearly 10-minute version of this song as a sort of protest when the musician who was set to play after them tried to hurry their set along and kick them off the stage. Any guesses as to who that was that was trying to kick them off the stage? I do know the story, actually. I, I don't know the name of the band, but I think it was the chick who sings 99 Left Balloons. Sorry, that is incorrect. Nice try, though. Isn't she German? They were in Belgium. It's close enough. <laughs> uh, actually, the musician was Robert Palmer. Are you serious with that right now? Because there is no way in hell that anyone at that festival would prefer seeing Robert Palmer over The Cure. No brainer on that one. Yeah. So if you've ever seen the song live, it usually ends in a really specific way. One by one, the members of the band stop playing their instruments and set them down and exit the stage until just the bassist is left, Simon Gallup. He's left alone playing this iconic bass line. But apparently this time, before he left the stage, he had some really choice words that he shouted out to the crowd about Robert Palmer and about rock and roll before he left the stage that day. So way to go, Simon. I am with you. That was expletive, expletive. <laughs> this is a family show. That song, A Forest, that's the, just to refresh your memory, that's the one Cure song that has a very long intro. Oh, just that one? That's the one, yeah. The one, okay. You can't identify it. Okay. Okay, that concludes round three, and we need to check in to see where you are with points, Zayim. I have 15 points. Okay, 15 points. Awesome. Not awesome. Before we hand out the ranks for the episode, we'll take one last listen to the power struggle and then get your answer. Blue I am eternal child. I am the eater of worlds and of children. See you next time, boys and girls. <laughs> So, Zabe, am I correct that no one has gotten the power struggle correct live yet? Nobody has. 
Can you be the one to do it? The theme of this episode has been, I have two choices to make and I've made the wrong choice each time. Everything I've gotten wrong, I've been real close and it's, it's been one or the other. In typical Zabe fashion, I've picked the wrong thing. Well, we had to make it a little harder because you are, after all, the host. I'm just the host. I don't write the questions. It's the, guys, <laughs> the judges. Are you ready? I mean, as, as much as I'm going to be. Let's see what you got. Number one, Young Frankenstein. Number two, Creepshow. Number three is between two. It's either Texas Chainsaw Massacre or it's Evil Dead. It's one or the other. And I think I hear Bruce Campbell's voice a little bit at the very end of that. So I'm going to go with Evil Dead for number three. Number four is, of course, It. And number five is either Kane from Poltergeist 2 or Tales from the Crypt. And I'm going to go with Tales from the Crypt. Judges? That is correct! Woohoo! All right! The very first one to conquer the power struggle live. Most impressive. Great job, Zabe. You did it. And guess what? A little bit of redemption. You do. You do get a little bit of redemption. So that means that you get bumped up an entire letter grade. So where were you in your points before that? I had 15 points. All right, listeners, your bar set by Zabe for points is still 15. Did you beat 15 points? Did you beat Zabe? Do you have more street cred than our host? Rut row. <laughs> Zabe has spoiled the prize package for all the listeners. Good job, Zabe. So no one gets to write in and give their answers because he took it all. Wait, wait, wait. I thought I was the one who was supposed to be pure evil. <laughs> Well, those first couple questions were pure evil. Let's call it what it is. Oh, I think they were pretty easy. All right, Dave, thanks for being a good sport and setting our benchmark and allowing me to come on and do this and flip the script for you. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we hand out our ranks? Well, first off, Suzanne, thank you so much for writing a whole episode for the podcast. It really does mean a lot to me that you would take interest in your husband's silly hobby and um, contribute in this way. So I know it's been a lot of work for you. You've, you've put a lot of effort into it, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Been a lot of fun. I don't think I want to do this on a regular basis or at all, but I will for sure support you. And I'm so glad that you got to experience it from the other side. Yeah. Thank you. So to the listeners who beat me today, you know, please keep in mind that the amateurs have controls of the podcast right now. So it's kind of an asterisk on this episode. Like, whoa, does, whoa, whoa. Does this really go down in the historical <laughs> records of the podcast? Or is this just kind of this weird one-off? I mean, we played the Twilight Zone to begin this with. So it's kind of like another dimensional sort of... Is does it this all just count? a dream? Is it all just a nightmare? Tell you what, we'll make part of it count. The part where I got the power struggle right, that part counts. But all the rest, I don't know if that part counts or not. But whoa, let's read the grades. Whoa, whoa. You know, I don't think you want this to come back on you in the end. I don't think you want other guests to argue with you and say, you know, I don't think that that counts. I don't, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that you want that. It's so. up to the judges. All right. We'll leave it to the judges. Judges, does this episode count? <laughs> it counts. Betrayed. Okay. Uh, let's hand out the grades and the ranks. So how did you do? How'd you score? Did you beat Zabe? In honor of Halloween, we are going to be using, if you haven't guessed it by now, the Nightmare Before Christmas point scale today. 
A score of 21 to 23 points is the grade of an A and earns you the rank of Sally. Sally. With her great instincts, sharp intellect. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. Keep going. With her great instincts, sharp intellect, friendliness, and helpfulness, she is truly the best of the Halloween Town citizens. The real nightmare is that Sally knew all along that Jack's taking over Christmas would go terribly. But of course, no one listened to the one person who made sense. Although Santa got it, he was paying attention. The next time you get the urge to take over someone else's holiday, I'd listen to her. She's the only one who makes any sense around this insane asylum. And finally, in the end, Jack recognizes how amazing Sally is, too. For her cleverness and her sense, Sally earns an A. A score of 18 to 20 points is enough for a B. And this is what you earned, Zabe. And of course, the rank of Jack. After all, he is the Pumpkin King. I'm the master of fright and a demon of light. And I'll scare you right out of your pants. But he did almost ruin Christmas. Because he remembered who he was in the end and got Santa to save the day, he earns the solid rank of B. A score of 15 to 70 points is enough for a C. And it actually earns you the rank of Tim Burton. While he was the creator, apparently he didn't spend much time at all on set, coming to check on the production only a handful of times over the years, for a total of about 8 to 10 days out of a three-year production. Props to the creator. But again, it was really Henry Selleck and his team that brought this film to life and did the lion's share of the work. So sorry, Tim. No A for effort. The best you can get is a C. The guy's name is on the movie. His name is on the movie, and yet he did very little of the work. Besides creating the thing, I mean, of course you have to give props for that, right? I thought it would have been funny if you got a C because, like, the creator, but he, like, punked out, you know? So, like, <laughs> you're the creator and you punked out. <laughs> so yeah. I thought I that, that, that the C would, would be appropriate. I thought it would be hilarious. And I was going to say something like, just like you, Zabe. <laughs> the creator punked out. A score of 12 to 14 points is enough for a D, and that is the Oogie Boogie rank. Well, 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 what have we here? Oogie Boogie is the anomaly of this film, and has always felt like he just doesn't quite fit in. He almost had a bit of a Scooby-Doo ending, Zoinks! where it would have been revealed that there was no Oogie Boogie at all. Instead of bugs underneath his burlap, they considered revealing that it was Dr. Finkelstein all along, seeking revenge, because after he created her to be his companion, Sally continually poisoned him and ultimately abandoned him for Jack. You've poisoned me for the last time, you wretched girl. Tim Burton hated this ending and apparently kicked a hole in the wall during a debate with Henry Selleck. He also kicked this alternative ending to the curb and we get Oogie Boogie's Bugs. For barely making it, you get a D. Henry Selleck would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for Tim Burton and their dog too. <laughs> Whatever. And finally, if you scored nine or less, well, that's a failing grade and you get the rank of CGI sequel. Tim Burton says there will never be a sequel to this movie and has rejected several pitches from Disney to make a CGI part two. He said, quote, I was always very protective of Nightmare Before Christmas, not to do sequels or that kind of thing. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World just because I felt the movie had a purity to it, because it's not a mass market kind of thing. Well, I hate to break it to you, Tim, but it really has become a mass market kind of thing. Have you been to Disneyland in October lately? The whole of both Disneyland and Disney California Adventure are redone in the style of Nightmare Before Christmas, and the products are everywhere. While I am grateful not to have a sequel because I do like the purity of it, the idea for a CGI part two and the idea that the movie has not become mainstream are both total fails. 
and earn an F. Great Halloween, everybody! I believe it was our most horrible yet! Okay, that's it for this episode of The Home Game. We hope you enjoyed playing along and we'll post your score on our Facebook group page. If you're interested in supporting the show, we have a Patreon account set up for those who would like to take advantage of the special offers available for becoming a contributor. Detailed information is available in the show notes. If you have questions, comments, a shout out, or would like to sign up to become a guest on either The Home Game or the regular version of the show, you can email Zabe at whowillsavegenx at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback and invite you to become a friend of the show. Well, that's it for this edition of The Home Game. Once again, I'd like to thank Zabe for being a guest on the show, as well as all of you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back with our regular version of the podcast in the next episode, where we will once again ask whoa, the- whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's my song. Where I will once again ask the question, who will save Generation X? Later. You say goodbye to Suzanne. Later. If you would like to join our jamboree, there's a simple rule that's compulsory. Hurry back. Hurry back. Rest in peace. Be sure to bring your death certificate. Hurry back. We would like If you decide to join us, make final arrangements now. We've been dying to have you. (laughs) You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.